0: eighteen seventy five while well, searching through the archives of ancient manuscripts in the library in Constantinople, Turkey, an amazing discovery was made there amongst ancient and dusty manuscripts was found particular document dating back to the year 1056 A.D. In that document was a copy of an early church handbook, a Greek handbook, the title of which is The Teaching of the Lord to the Gentiles Through the Twelve Apostles. It's more commonly known as the Didache. The author of this particular document, author or authors of this document, remain unknown. But archaeologists, their best estimates are that the original of the Didache goes back to the early 2nd century, perhaps as early as A.D. 120. If that is true, and I believe it is true, then we have, in a very short connecting chain, a document that goes back to just a couple of decades beyond the close of the New Testament. The book of Revelation, written sometime probably around A.D. 95, if the Didache actually is eighty one twenty? then in two and a half decades, less than one generation, we have this document. It is an amazing archaeological discovery and provides insight into the thinking of the early church in the first decades following the apostolic era. We are able to look into what was church like way back then. What were the issues that faced those early believers a scant few years after the last apostle stopped walking this earth? Reading the Didache is kind of foreign sounding to our ears, removed two millennia from its original composition, but it is fascinating nonetheless One of the big issues that was facing the early church in those decades following the close of the New Testament was how do you determine who is a true teacher, a true prophet, and who is a false prophet, who is a teacher of false doctrine among the early church. That was an absolutely critical issue. The New Testament had not yet been pulled ...together in one place at that time. It was still circulating in individual letters. There were parts of the empire that would not have had access even... ...to all the letters at this early date. And so, who is speaking for Jesus Christ and are what they are saying is true... ...was a huge issue for the early church. How do you discern false teachers, false prophets among the early believers... And there is one chapter of the Didache that is given over to this particular topic. It's chapter 11. It's called Concerning Teachers, Apostles, and Prophets. That's the chapter title. And there it gives a test for the early believers. One test by which a false prophet might be known. And interestingly, it was... A test of hospitality. It was a hospitality test by which you could discern a false teacher, a false prophet from a true spokesman of the living God. Let me read for you just a few sentences that I've pulled together out of that chapter so you get an idea of what it was like. It reads, chapter 11, quote, Let every apostle, that's small a, apostle, every messenger, let every apostle who comes to you be received as the Lord. But he shall not remain more than one day, or two days if there is a need. But if he remains three days, he is a false prophet. Fascinating, isn't it? And when the apostle goes away, let him take nothing but bread until he lodges. If he asks for money, he is a false prophet. Whoever says in the Spirit, give me money or something else, you shall not listen to him. But if he tells you to give for others' sakes who are in need, let no one judge him see. So, what do false prophets and fish have in common? They both begin to stink after three days. Three days. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, page 1136. If you're using a pew Bible... This morning we are picking up right where we left off last week. In verse 13 of chapter 12. Verse 13 of chapter 12. We left off there. We were only able to look at the first part of the verse. We will finish verse 13 together this morning. But let me read for you just beginning in verse 9 to pick up a little bit of the context. Paul says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints and practicing hospitality. Now, we have repeatedly noted here that this section of Romans chapter 12, Paul gives a whole series of short statements with regard to what it means to love. That love is the the natural outworking of the divine within our soul. That is, when the Spirit of God Himself takes up residence within you and I by faith in Jesus Christ, it transforms our life and so transforms our life that we go from being lovers of self to lovers of others. And Paul here in this section of Romans 12 is talking about all the different aspects of love, all the different venues and relationships and and ways that love can be expressed and should be expressed among the people of God. Not just love for each other here in the body, although that is absolutely true and has occupied us up until now, but he will go on to talk about that it is love that extends outside of this local body as well to those who are not yet believers in Jesus Christ. So to to be transformed by the Spirit of God is to become a lover of all things that God loves. And God loves His people, and God loves the world of men and women. And so we, as children made in His image, are to love one another and to love those outside of the body as well. That's what Paul has been talking about. And so for ease, for convenience, I have grouped a number of these characteristics of love together and reduced it down to a list of 12 and i have been calling them ingredients kind of the overall motif of that we are we are cooking something we are baking something and In order for the recipe to turn out correctly, you need to have the proper ingredients. And so we have called this Paul's recipe for love, and we have boiled these down into a series of ingredients, 12 ingredients for love, and they are listed for you on the back of your bulletin. And so week by week, we have been examining these various ingredients for Christian love. Last week's ingredient was generosity, the seventh of the twelve ingredients, generosity. And we only had time last week to look at generosity as it related to our wallets. The first part of verse 13, contributing to the needs of the saints. We talked about generosity spawned by the life of God within us, through the gospel that has transformed us, results in a generous wallet. And that was what we talked about last week. Well, it's not just our wallets that is transformed. It is our homes that are transformed as well. And that's the topic before us this morning, the transformation of our homes. A generous love shows up in the wallet, and it shows up in the home. It shows up in the home. Practicing, verse 13, hospitality is the point. Practicing hospitality. So as we look at that short little clause, they are practicing hospitality. There are three very challenging truths that I want to draw out for us this morning out of that short little statement. Three very challenging truths regarding hospitality so that we will grow in this area of generosity. So that we will become a generous people, not just with our wallets, but with our homes as well. That's where we're going. Are you ready? All right, the first challenging truth with regard to hospitality is that it's not optional. Hospitality is not optional. It's not optional. The practice of hospitality has been and still is in many, many parts of the world a very Valued practice. It is a very highly valued practice. It is somewhat foreign to us, but in most parts of the world, it is an exceedingly valued commodity, hospitality. Literally, the word hospitality means the love of strangers. The love of strangers. Phylosenia is the Greek word from which we get... Philos or love, and then xenia, strangers. So hospitality literally means the love of strangers. The love of strangers. At the time the New Testament was written, and as I say, in many parts of the world even today, there are not adequate lodging opportunities for people. Many of the lodging establishments when you can even find them, have an atmosphere of immorality that make them unwholesome and not a good place to be. Certainly that was true in the first century for the church in the Roman world. To be a follower of Jesus Christ and to stay in any kind of lodging establishment was to to put yourself in a position where you would be confronted with all kinds of immoral behavior. Sexual immorality would abound. They were more brothels than they were what you and I would think of as a hotel. So it, is a, it became a moral necessity among those who called themselves brothers and sisters in the family of God to provide for the needs of other believers who had to have a place to stay and have a place to stay. Now, that is very different, is it not, than the culture in which you and I live. It's, that's foreign to us. It's foreign to us. Here in America, hospitality has fallen on hard times. It's fallen on hard times. I think that's due in large part to the frantic lifestyle that most of us find ourselves absorbed in. We're constantly running, we never slow down to, to take any time to think about things. Life just comes at us, one thing after another. And so it, we're more like on a runaway train than we are driving a car and taking time to observe the scenery around us. Beyond that, we live in a culture that is exceedingly self-absorbed. We live in a culture in which most people are concerned only for themselves or maybe their immediate family. They do not think, it doesn't, even, it doesn't even come onto their radar screen, those other people around them. it just, it's not normal for us. We tend to drive home, press the little button in our car, and up comes the garage door. In we go, we press the button, the garage door comes down, we enter into the house, through the side door, from the garage, and we don't go back out again. And if we do go out, we go into our backyard that is surrounded by a massive fortification on which there are machine gun turrets and barbed wire, right? You might see your neighbor when you put the trash out, but probably not because you do it after dark or early in the morning. We live in a very self-absorbed kind of world. We do not intersect with our neighbors very often at all. Very, very self-absorbed. Beyond that, there is a spirit of individuality that kind of prevails in our culture, right? The rugged individualist. Who's our hero? It's the Western cowboy type who doesn't need anybody, right? They ride off into the sunset completely self-contained. That is the, the American icon of a successful man. And so we live in this individualistic Culture. We live in a a culture in which we're self-absorbed. We live in a culture that is frantic. And so we live in a culture that is the idea of slowing down and extending hospitality in a biblical sense is right off the radar screen. It doesn't even occur to us. But that does not get us off the hook. Because as far as the scriptures are concerned, hospitality is an important virtue. The Bible puts a very high value on this expression of Christian love. A very high value. And it urges it upon all those who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ and who have been transformed by the indwelling power of His Holy Spirit. Hospitality is not optional. It flows from a transformed life. Earlier in this chapter, beginning in verse 1, be be reminded here, after recounting in chapters 1 through 11, the power of the gospel to transform the human life, to regenerate someone who is dead in trespasses and sin, alienated from God, hostile towards God, no interest in the things of God, the gospel will... Enliven and transform such an individual through faith in Jesus Christ and make them into a new person. And Paul says that based on that theological reality, we are to live in a certain way. And so he says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, the mercies of God referencing back to the gospel just presented, that you present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect so we live in a culture and in a world in which hospitality is alien foreign Not even on the radar screen, but the Apostle Paul says, you are not off the hook. I am not off the hook. Just because our culture doesn't endorse this, just because our culture doesn't promote this, just because our culture doesn't encourage this, does not alleviate our obligation for it. We are not to be conformed by the American culture. We are to be transformed By the renewing of our mind, as we intake massive quantities of the Word of God, it will transform the way we see reality. And that transformation, back to verse 13, will result in a love of strangers. A love of strangers. Now this statement about hospitality is not unique to Romans chapter 12. Actually, there are a number of places in the New Testament, in which hospitality is urged upon the people of God. For example, you can turn to the right to Hebrews chapter 13. If you're using a pew Bible, page 1206. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2. Actually, we'll pick it up in verse 1. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 1. Page 1206. Let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Let love of the brethren continue. Turning back to your left, to First Timothy, chapter five, First Timothy chapter five, page 11:88. Verse 9 and 10, 1 Timothy 5, verses 9 and 10, speaking here about who among the body that are widows are qualified to be enrolled upon the welfare rolls of the church. That is, that the church will undertake to provide their financial needs for the rest of their natural life. What kind of widows qualify for that kind of responsibility? And Paul lays out a number of requirements here. But in verse 9, he says, Let the widow be put on the list only if, and then I want you to drop down to verse 10. In the middle of the verse, if she has shown hospitality to strangers. Do you see it? she may only be enrolled and become the permanent financial obligation of the local body provided she has a life that has been characterized by a love of strangers by a love of strangers 1st Timothy 5:10 turn to your right all the way over to 3rd John third John page 1223 The aged Apostle John, writing near the very end of his life. Writing to a friend by the name of Gaius. You see him in verse 1, Gaius. He has something very interesting to say with regard to hospitality. Beginning in verse 5, he says, Beloved, Gaius, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers. And they bear witness to your love before the church. The point is that when they come back to the church that has sent them out, they speak about your love, Gaius. And you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men that we may be fellow workers with the truth. What John is commending Gaius for is that when traveling church planters, traveling evangelists, traveling missionaries were passing through that area, Gaius opened up his home to them and demonstrated to them Christian hospitality and provided for their needs, sending them out along their way with sufficient financial resources to get them to their destination. He was showing real and practical hospitality or love for strangers, and he is commended for it. 1 Timothy chapter 3 is an interesting statement on hospitality. 1 Timothy chapter 3, page 1187. 1 Timothy chapter 3 is a statement that speaks about the character qualities of an elder or a deacon. Who is qualified to give spiritual leadership among the people of God? What will a mature man of God look like? Not a perfect man, but a mature man, a man who is making progress in his Christian faith. What will it look like? A man to whom other believers, newer believers, younger believers can look up to and say, I want to follow them as they are following Jesus Christ. What will their life be characterized by? And the Apostle Paul gives us here in chapter 3 and verse 2 where he says an overseer, an elder must be above reproach. He must be the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, and notice this, hospitable. He must be hospitable. A man who is not hospitable is not yet mature enough to give leadership among the people of God. It is one of the qualities or characteristics of his life that must be in place. You can turn over to Titus chapter 1, page 1193, where Paul says the same thing. Titus chapter 1, verse 7, and then leading into 8. The overseer must be above reproach as God's steward. Not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, that is, not a striker, not fond of sordid gain, but first characteristic in a positive way listed is what? Hospitable. He must be hospitable he must be a lover of strangers loving strangers beloved is a practical tangible expression of a transformed life we say we follow jesus christ we say he has saved us from our sin we say that he has changed us and paul would say show me the change in a life that now loves strangers Love strangers. Because then you will be modeling the life of Christ living within you. A hospitable life. Loving strangers, let me just say this to you. Loving strangers is not a spiritual gift. Hospitality is not a spiritual gift. It is not something that some people have and other people do not have. It is the outworking of the Spirit of God within us who has transformed us, but it is not just for a few, it is for everyone. It is for everyone. It is not a spiritual gift, it is a spiritual duty. It is a spiritual duty that is motivated by a transformed life. So the first challenging truth with regard to Paul's statement here on hospitality is that hospitality is not, you fill it in. What? Say it to me again. It is not one more time. It is not optional. It is not optional. Secondly, hospitality is not passive. It is not passive. Now this is where it starts to get even more challenging. First is not optional. But now it's not passive. Look again, Romans chapter 12, verse 13, practicing hospitality. Dioko is the Greek verb. It's translated here, practicing, and that's too bad because that's a, that's a weak sauce translation. That's an under translation of this verb. It means pursuing or chasing after. Dioko, to pursue or to chase after like one would chase down wild game in order to slay it or capture it. Like one would chase down their enemies. It is a very active word. It is not a passive word. It is an active word. It is an aggressive word. So when Paul says that we are to be practicing hospitality, or at least the NESB translates it practicing hospitality, I'd rather they said it Straight up, chasing after hospitality. That's what we're talking about. Run it down, chase it until you catch it. And that completely flips most of our views with regard to hospitality, doesn't it? Most of us think about hospitality as something we will do when it is forced upon us. Or something we will do when the opportunity presents itself. Sure, I would let someone stay overnight with me if they were banging on my door and it was raining and they had no place to go and they had ten references so that I would know who they really were. Then I would let them stay and in the morning I'd feed them oatmeal and send them on their way. Wrong. Wrong. That's passive. That's the passive approach. Paul says we are not to be Passive. We are not to wait until someone knocks on our door. We are to be aggressive. We are to be active. We are to be chasing. We are to be pursuing. We are to be searching for opportunities to love strangers. That means don't wait till they knock on your door, but go out and find them. We are to go out and find strange people and love them. And that should be easy because this place is filled with strange people. I am strange, and so are you. So there are plenty of opportunities for strangers all around us, right? Chasing after. By the way, there's a couple of really excellent illustrations of this back in the Old Testament. I want to take you back to Genesis. Go back to Genesis 18, page 16, if you're using that pew Bible. Genesis chapter 18. The idea of chasing after hospitality. Genesis chapter 18, verse 1, page 16. Now the Lord appeared to him, that is Abraham, by the oaks of Mambri, while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. And when he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. And he said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. After that, you may go on since you have visited your servant. And they said, So do as you have said. So Abraham, the picture is, he sees these strangers and he immediately, when he sees them, he rushes out to them and invites them to come, get out of the heat of the day, rest, let me give you something to eat, let me refresh you, let me minister and care for your physical needs. Let me love you. Let me love you. You can turn one chapter over to Genesis 19, and you can see the same behavior in Abraham's nephew, Lot. Genesis 19 and verse 1. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said, Now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. And then you may rise early and go on your way. They said, however, no, but we will spend the night in the square. Yet he urged them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. So both Abraham and his nephew Lot are classic illustrations for us of what does it mean to pursue hospitality, to chase after hospitality. The opportunity, they went for it. They went for it. By the way, I'm going to use this opportunity to clear up one misunderstanding that many people have over in Hebrews 13. So go ahead and turn back there. I can't resist this, so I'll do it anyway. Page 1206. We'll just straighten out your New Testament theology a little bit here. Hebrews chapter 13. Did I say 6? If I said 6, that was an error. Hebrews chapter 13, page 1206. That's what it is. Hebrews 13, page 1206. The writer of the Hebrew says, "Let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it." The reference is to Abraham and Lot, and a couple of others. Gideon's parents, or Gideon himself, and the parents of Samson also entertained angels unaware by showing hospitality. So, every time you show hospitality, do not expect that it's an angel. In fact, I would suggest to you that it is exceedingly unlikely that you will ever entertain an angel in human form. This is a reference to a historical reality that occurred. Okay, So, some entertained angels unaware. Okay, good. We've cleared that up. Now, back to Romans 12. Hospitality is not passive. It's not passive. You know, as we reflect on that reality, that statement, something else comes to mind? I think it's also important to point out that hospitality in the Scriptures is primarily a male issue. Let me say that to you again. Hospitality in the Scriptures, in the Word of God, is primarily a male issue. Gentlemen, do I have your ears? Hospitality is your responsibility. In fact, there is only one place in the New Testament where hospitality is explicitly spoken of as a female issue. And we just read that together. It's 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 10, with regard to what? Widows who do not, by definition, have what? That's it. Brilliant. They do not have a husband. Okay, So with the exception of widows who do not have a husband, hospitality is primarily a male issue. It is a requirement for elders and deacons. It is a requirement for elders and deacons. What am I saying? What I'm saying is that as men, it is important for us to lead out in our homes with regard to the issue of hospitality and not to put it upon our wives to do this. Gentlemen, if your home is not hospitable, it is because you are not hospitable. Let's just say it like it is. If your home is not hospitable, it is because you are not hospitable. It is not your wife's problem. It is not your wife's fault. It is up to you to be and cultivate an attitude of hospitality first in your own heart and then to shepherd your wife and your children so that you set an aroma in your home of hospitality. It is a male issue. And it is not passive. It is aggressive. It is active. It is active. Hospitality is an outworking of generosity. Is that right? You now, what the text says, it is the outworking of generosity. If you, gentlemen, are not in a hospitable home, then you are deficient in the area of hospitality. And generosity, the virtue that you should be cultivating is somehow deficient. And you need to work on that. You need to pour yourself into the Word of God, allow the Spirit to use His Word to transform your mind so that you begin to think differently about these things and your home and the aroma of your home begins to take on a love of strangers. A love of strangers. If you fail to to cultivate this virtue, gentlemen... It is no one's fault but yours. Okay? Hospitality is not passive. Told you this was challenging. Third challenging truth. Are you ready? Hospitality is not optional. Hospitality is not passive. And hospitality is not easy. It is not easy. It is not easy. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 9 Page 1214 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 9 has an amazing statement with regard to hospitality 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 9 Be hospitable to one another without complaint Without complaint. Now, why would he say that? Why would he say be hospitable to one another and then add the without complaint? Why not just stop there, right? Be hospitable to one another, period. Next subject. But he has to insert the without complaint. And the reason he inserts the without complaint is because hospitality is not easy. It is not easy. It is exceedingly difficult at times and it will draw out of your wretched heart and mine grumbling. It will make us grumble. It will make us complain. By the way, hospitality is not determined by the size of your home but by the condition of your heart. Let me just throw that out there. It's not Hospitality is not Determined by the size of your home, but by the condition of your heart. What kind of heart do we have? Do we have a grumbling heart? Do we have a stingy little heart? little Grinch heart? Or do we have a big heart? Right? I listed seven inadequate reasons for not practicing hospitality. Seven inadequate reasons. By the way, they are all reasons and they are all true reasons. There are no bogus reasons here. They're just all inadequate. So let me share them with you. Seven inadequate reasons for not practicing hospitality. Seven reasons for not practicing hospitality. Number one, it's inconvenient. hospitality is inconvenient that is it restricts our freedom hospitality restricts our freedom when we <clears throat> excuse me when we have someone else in our home it we now have to think about somebody besides ourselves we have to concern ourselves with another individual we have to think about their likes their dislikes their comforts That is exceedingly inconvenient. It is much easier to think only about who? Yourself. It is much easier to think only about yourself or your own little family. You've got it worked out. If you bring someone else in, all they're going to do is mess it up. So the first inadequate reason is that it's inconvenient. (coughs) Excuse me. I acknowledge that it's inconvenient, but that reason does not rise to the level that you say to God, Sorry, God, I know that this is what you tell me we should do, but you know what? This is really inconvenient, and so, you know, somebody else. Here am I. Send someone else. Right? So, it's inconvenient. Second inadequate reason is it's disruptive. It's inconvenient, and it's disruptive. (coughs) <coughs> excuse me changes the routine of the house it changes the routine of the house it changes bedtimes it changes meal times it changes bathroom order and on and on and on it goes so having people in your home messes up your schedule you may have to get up earlier in the morning you may have to stay up later in the night you may have to eat the meal at a different time in order to accommodate them all of that is disruptive who wants to be disrupted my life is a mess as it is and so sorry god I'm out of there. I'm just not going to do that. Inadequate reason. Third. Third inadequate reason. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. I mean, what if they murdered me in my sleep? I mean, I don't want someone in my home that I don't know. What if they stole all my stuff? Who knows what they might do? Maybe they'll break something. Maybe they'll eat my favorite breakfast cereal. (laughs) Without even asking. It's dangerous. It's fascinating to me. Do you know the opposite of phyloxenia? It's Xenophobia. Xenophobia. The fear of strangers. The fear of strangers. It is not an adequate reason to say no to God for the extension of yourselves in the ministry of hospitality. Why, some crazy idea that you might have a triple axe murderer stay with you for the night? We can be wise, we can be discerning, but it's not a valid reason. It's not a valid reason. Fourth, inadequate reason, it's invasive. It's it's invasive. There's a loss of privacy. Loss of of my own personal space. You're going to see me like I really am. I have a really well-sculptured external personality that when you see me, that you have this opinion of me. If you were to ever see me in my home, then you would know the real me, and I cannot have you know that about me. And so I cannot open my home to a stranger. I cannot let you inside the walls to see the real person. It's too invasive. You might find out that I'm really a sinner. And we can't have that, now can we? Because I know that you're all sinners, but I'm perfect, right? I was kidding with somebody before the service. They're saying, oh, it's such a wonderful church. And I said, I know. All the sinners go somewhere else. All the perfect people come here, Right? Yeah, wrong. We're all sinners saved by grace. If I let you in, you're going to see who I really am. You're going to see me as a sinner saved by grace. But it's a little scary. It's a little scary. Sometimes I get grumpy when I'm tired. And I have to learn to deal with it. So it's an inadequate reason to say that it's too invasive. Fifth, inadequate reason, it's expensive. It's expensive. It's going to lead to higher utility costs. It's going to lead to more food bills. And I can't have that. So it's too expensive. Inadequate. Put more water in the soup. (laughs) And the problem is, for most of us, is we confuse entertainment and hospitality. See, when it's entertainment, you're seeking to impress them. So out come the best dishes and the gourmet menus, right? Stressed out, I have to cook this really gourmet menu. That's entertainment. That's not hospitality. Hospitality is the love of strangers, inviting them into your life to partake with you of whatever the Lord has provided you. And seriously, that means more water in the soup. Put some water in it. Trust the Lord. Be amazed at what he might do as he would stretch your food budget in true hospitality. So expense is not an adequate reason. It doesn't reach the threshold where you can say, God, you know, I know it's for everybody else, but you see, you've made me so poor that I can't possibly feed one more mouth today. Wrong. Wrong. Sixth, inadequate reason. It's humbling. It's humbling. It requires me to serve other people. And I don't want to serve anybody else. Tired of serving other people. I want to be served. The problem is that Jesus said that even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So it's a humbling experience, and God wants it to be that way. So it's not a valid reason to say that I can't show hospitality because it's too humbling. It requires me to serve people, and I don't want to do that. Seventh and final inadequate reason is I don't know how. I don't know How? Well, after the next few more minutes, you will. (laughs) And so this reason will be removed as well. We must begin small. We begin small. But we must begin. We must begin. We don't learn to run before we learn to walk. We don't learn to walk before we take baby steps. is that right? So if you don't know how, listen up. And I'm going to outline for you some baby steps that will lead to a walking and running mature gait as a lover of strangers. Are you ready? Here they are. Six suggestions for you as to how to begin. Very simple. First, look around FBC this morning for a new face. And invite them home to your house for lunch. It's a very simple thing to do. Invite them home for lunch to your home. You may want to plan ahead and do that next week, or you may be bold and try it this week. Just jump into it. But look around, find someone you don 't know. take the risk of going up and introducing yourself. Ask them how long have you been coming, and they tell you ten years. And you say, pleased to meet you. <laughs> Would you come to my home for dinner, for lunch? We're having soup. <laughs> <laughs> so look around for a new face at FBC, Invite him home for a bowl of soup, all right? That's the easiest way to begin. Second. Look around for college students or military personnel that are here in the body and have no place to go after church. They have no home to go home to. They go back to a, to a dreary dormitory room and eat that disgusting cafeteria food. Invite them into your home and befriend them. Talk to them. Give them some loving. Okay? College students or military personnel, reach out to them. Extend yourself to them for the afternoon. All right, here's the next one. It's a little more challenging. In your bulletin, you have a save the date for the IFCA men's conference, faithful men's conference. We are hosting it here at Foothill Bible Church, May 21st and 22nd. It begins at 4 o'clock, something like that, 6 o'clock, 4 o'clock. It begins sometime between 4 and 6 (laughs) o'clock with details coming on Friday afternoon. That's what happens when you go off your script, you know. Sometime Friday afternoon, right around that time it begins. There'll be a session Friday evening and then people will need a place to sleep and they'll come back Saturday morning. We're hoping that there'll be about 200 men that will come from all over Southern California. I think that it would be amazing if we as a body were willing to open up our homes Friday evening, May 21st, and provide a bed for men who have traveled a long distance to come to this conference so they don't have to go down to a local hotel and plunk down 90 or 100 bucks for a bed for the night. But we can invite them to come home with us and spend the night. All we're providing is a a bed and a shower in the morning and a breakfast and send them off. And I think we can do this. And there will be older men that will be coming, some of them a long distance. We're going to be opening up the gym for those that are diehards and want to sleep on the gym floor in a sleeping bag. And the young bucks can do that. But there are older men like me who would no way want to sleep on this hard floor for the night. And so I want to put this out to us as an amazing challenge to do something here and to open ourselves up and show hospitality to strangers. We can do this. We can do this. So if God moves in your heart and motivates you in this way, then we want you to notify the church office that you're willing to open your home and you can accommodate one, two, or three, whatever, whatever the Lord has blessed you with. Some, you know what? Some of us have really big homes. Some of us have been blessed with really big homes. With many bedrooms that are more like museums than bedrooms. We could take in a lot of people if we put ourselves to it. So I want to challenge us. I to challenge us to that. So, provide housing. Fourth, A fourth way you can make progress in the area of hospitality is there are certain members of the body here who travel a long distance to be with us on a Sunday morning. They drive a long way to be with us. And there are certain weeks of the month, for example, when Neighborhood Ambassadors happens and prayer meeting in the evening in which they would love to stay and be part of the neighborhood ambassadors and and a prayer meeting, but they have this time gap between the close of service and 3 o'clock when neighborhood ambassadors starts, and they have no place to go. They have no place to go. They can go to a park. They can go to a restaurant. They can hang out on campus. But wouldn't it be Christian for us to open up our home and say, Come on home with us. Put your feet up on, you know... On the on the footstool at our house, rest your body a little before we, before we go back out together and minister into the neighborhood. We could do this for people if we were just a little more alert, looking around who they might be. So, provide your home as a resting place for a traveler. Fifth, house missionaries home on furlough. This one's a little more challenging because it's a little longer. This goes beyond the three day. Okay goes beyond the three-day thing. Talk to Pastor Art. There are missionaries both from this church and other churches that are passing through this area that need a place to stay. Sometimes it is only one night or two nights. Other times it's a longer period of time. If God has blessed you, open up your home and bless someone else. And that leads me into my final one, number six. Taking in those in the congregation among us who are in need of housing taking in those who are in need of housing maybe it's just a temporary thing maybe it's maybe it's a, again I'm, my mind goes to college students we have some college students who'll be graduating here soon and they will be trying to find a job and get start get themselves started and this is a crummy economy it's hard to get started Even if you have a job, it's hard to try to find a place to to live. They want all kinds of upfront money and deposits and so forth, and they don't have a lot of money. What a blessing we could be to someone if we were to say, you know what, why don't you just stay with me for the first two months after you get your job and save your first few paychecks and so you have the money to get yourself started somewhere. We could bless people like that. Or here's another way. Maybe for some of our retired folks. Maybe you're thinking, I'm on a fixed income. I would love to contribute financially to Summit Bible Church, but I'm on a fixed income. I I really don't have a lot more money than presently coming in. But the Lord has blessed me with a house. How about if you were to rent a room to a young college student or someone who is just out of college and getting started in their career at below market rate? so that you bless them and then take all the proceeds of the rent and contribute it to the church planting. See, you would bless them by providing this room at below market rates for them. You would help a young person get started in life. And what they pay you in rent, the few hundred dollars a month they pay you that's below market, but the few hundred they pay you, (coughs) you could contribute to the church plant. And you know what? Even on a fixed income, God could use you and your generosity, your hospitality, to advance the gospel. All we need to do is be a little creative and to think about what, what, how have I been blessed, and how can I take how I've been blessed and bless someone else? We can do these things. Not in our own strength, not by our own power, not by a force of personality, not because, you know, we're pretty good people because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. He's motivated us to love in word and deed. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we are on the receiving end of your goodness, that's for sure. You are so faithful to us in meeting our needs. And beyond that, our Father You've made us all wealthy. When it comes to the rest of the world, our Father, we, we're a wealthy people. We may not be wealthy in the world's eyes here in Southern California, but, Father, we still have a lot. And to whom much has been given, much is required. And so, Father, I pray that you would transform us. Pray you would transform me, Lord that the love of Christ would so control me, so overwhelm me, that I could shine that love to others by extending myself in hospitality. Oh Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning and ask you to work in their hearts too. Father, may you do something amazing here at Foothill Bible Church that would cause people's ears to buzz as they hear what the Spirit's doing among us. Not for our glory, but for yours. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.